This is Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast on which we rewatch very special episodes or any episodes of television and uh, see what they have to teach us today. Today, we are watching an episode of The Office, the American version. The episode is titled Diversity Day, Season 1, Episode 2. It originally aired March 29th, 2005, and was written by BJ Novak with Kim, uh, Mindy Kaling credited as the staff writer. Yep. Which brings us right into You Wrote What, but it's a special edition. Special edition. You composed what? Wow. Yeah. Jay Ferguson wrote the theme song to The Office, which I skip every goddamn time. Mm-hmm. I can't take it anymore. I've seen this episode, <laughs> this series, too much. When that song comes on, I'm like, please stop. He also appears in other episodes as the guitarist for Kevin's band Scrantonicity. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, he also scored the episode. He did uh, mostly musical themes and scores and contributing songs. He scored the episode ATM with a Heart of Gold uh, of Erie, Indiana. Oh, wow. Uh, he does all the music on NCIS Los Angeles. And he wrote the music for the 1992 series Going to Extremes. Okay, I'd never heard of Going to Extremes either. Here's the description of the series. This hour-long dramatic comedy featured American medical students undergoing their training on a tropical island. Okay. Now, you know how I feel about IMDb episode descriptions, right? Pro. They are, yeah, I'm always in love with them. The worse, the better. But here's a sample of three of the descriptions of three episodes of Going to Extremes, if I may. Go. Cheryl and her housemates encounter a domestic disturbance when they hire a maid. Kathleen plays matchmaker for a special patient, and Charlie meets the seven-foot giant again. <laughs> okay. Great. Alex and Dr. Yep. Alex and Dr. Davis get a little kinky, and the resulting hernia forces Alex into the hospital for surgery. Ugh. Meanwhile, Cheryl struggles to cope with depression fueled by a patient's refusal for treatment. And then finally... This so is just, just Grey's Anatomy in Paradise, like Bachelor in seems Paradise. Seems like it. It seems like it. Well, wait, because this this is where it gets extra special. Alex is torn between two lovers: the carnal Doctor Alice Davis and cute considerate, cute considerate Carolyn. Meanwhile, Charlie proves that there really are good spirits, and Kathleen discovers that Delia can't read. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so <There's>, much. <laughs> That's almost the entire length of the episode. Wow. That's actually the script. Uh, so, yeah, check it out if you want to. Going to extremes. Only one season? What? <laughs> well, I'm guessing that you did a, this very special You Composed What because both BJ Novak and Mindy Kaling went on to be very prolific and yeah. famous writers, and we know them, and so we don't need to deep dive into no. their IMDb's. Although I would like to note that BJ Novak was nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award for this episode. For best screenplay episodic comedy, yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. They, these are two amazing writers, B.J. Novak and Minnie Kaling. Uh, throughout the episode or throughout the series, are writing just brilliant episodes. Um, and yeah, Mindy Kaling wrote 
a couple of her own shows and is rumored to be the writer for the next Legally Blonde movie. Oh, not rumored. Uh, movie. It's been all over the news. Uh, she's also got like oh, really? two more series coming out. Yep. I'm out yep. of touch. She's a... Chelsea. She's, <laughs> she's, Go ahead. You wrote everything? That's the Mindy Gilling story. Everything? Currently. What didn't you write? <laughs> um, this was uh, the first... And, and, and speaking of writing, this was the first episode of The Office to feature original writing like an original idea the pilot episode the what aired as the pilot episode contained many jokes that were holdovers from the british series pilot and it was a weird there was a weird tonal thing where it felt like the wrong people telling the right jokes it was you know in um the episode the this episode diversity day was the second episode of the series and it garnered only half as many viewers as the pilot had which yeah, was considered a travesty because it was sure. like a bunch of people tuned in for the pilot that were fans of the British series and then saw and were like, well, this is this what's going to be like a watered down American version of the jokes we've already heard. I'm not coming back. And then episode two is wildly original, but yes. they had lost. It took a while to get the viewership back that they lost after the pilot. And if I'm not mistaken, Chelsea, correct me if I'm wrong. This episode was uh, suggested by a young boy named Miles. <laughs> uh, Milos. Uh, His name young, is Milos. Milos. Uh, yes. Oh, a young Transylvanian boy. Um, well, Milos, if you can hear us on your Transylvanian <laughs> podcast. Of course, this was actually recommended by our own sound dude, uh, Miles. Miles! Yes. What up with that? What I, up with I, that? I'm a huge fan of The Office. And, well, you know, I, it was actually, I, I thought about something that you had said ages ago, uh, maybe back in season one, um, where you, you said that there were some very special episodes of The Office. And I really didn't make that connection until a recent rewatch, and and I remember Diversity Day and being like, oh my god, that is you you aren't kidding about some of these being like, the, like at least topically very specially, and uh, and I wondered yeah. if, is is this is this how we we work with very special topics nowadays, um, and uh, I, I don't know, I just wanted to see uh, see you guys unpack it and see what happened. Sure. Well, well let's add right. that element to our discussion then, totally. because I feel like this one. And uh, season two, episode one, Gay Witch Hunt. Both of those have something positive to put forward towards acceptance. There's a season two, um, there's a season two episode that's uh, sort of the the spiritual counterpoint to this, which is the gender sensitivity day training. Um, Women's day, yeah. Yeah, which I feel like is the third, there's like a triple the gay the gay episode and then the women's episode and the diversity episode seem to be the three um right so before we get into that i want to show you my snack because i'm very excited about it i'm excited for you um this was a snack i had to really prep it it is trader joe's almond croissant motherfuck and it starts that looks great it starts frozen and you have to let it sit out and proof for seven hours on the counter and then bake it for 20 minutes. So a lot of planning went into this, but I'm very excited about it. This house smells amazing right now, like baked bread. I don't feel like that snack would make it seven whole hours in my house, let alone the extra 20 minutes. I'd be like, no, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) All right. I'm going to try this now. Go for it.
was an A-plus snack. It is oh, really? so delicious. I just checked to see if there were seven more hours left in this day, if I had time to take another <laughs> one out of the freezer. It is flaky and chewy yeah. and full of almond stuff. Amazing. Excellent. Well, congratulations for you. Miles, your thoughts? Uh, oh, yeah. Very yeah. good. Very good. A-plus. Easily. Congratulations, Trader Joe's. You're still killing it. Done it again. Well, let's... Talk about a goddamn episode of television. Let's do it. I'm very excited to talk about this episode. First of all, yeah, same. Um, I love The Office. I've watched the series several times. And it's also interesting to watch these early season one episodes when the show is still trying to figure out, like, who are these characters? How are they like the yeah. British versions, but also their own thing? And what's the tone of the show? What's going to be most successful? This episode is tonally super caustic like to a level that the series is going to mellow out from but this is one of the cringiest episodes of this entire eight season long is it eight nine season long show nine seasons i mean it's all gonna bottom out look i've also watched the office a million times it's gonna bottom out with uh dinner party uh the the episode that the only studio note that they got for the episode was, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> it was something that's similar to that. They're like, this is pretty dark. Do you want to do this? And they're like, yeah. Yes. It's one of the best episodes. But yes, when it's at its cringiest, The Office really does cringe well. Yeah. The, uh, the dinner party, of course, features former punker. Um, former punker. Jan. So the show, uh, of course, as I'm sure everyone knows, is shot mockumentary style. So there is a lot of talking heads pointed straight down the barrel of the camera. This show, uh, more than Parks and Rec, I think, plays up the tension between how people act when they're one-on-one with the camera crew and how they act in scene with scene partners. The difference between like how they think they want to present themselves and who they think they are with how they interact with other human beings. There's a lot of, especially with Michael Scott, um, Steve Carell's character, there's a lot of tension. So, um, yeah, so let's just jump right into it. Right. So. Because we start with a call to adventure. We get almost no ordinary world. Yeah. It's diversity day. Diversity training is being set up in the conference room uh, and Michael is Acting as though it was his idea, though he admits that it's a mandated thing from corporate and he had absolutely no say in it. Yeah. And there's an outside person here to run it from an outside company, which is I used to work in HR and I used to actually run diversity trainings. Um, That was something we did in house. But we had other things like every every year we'd have a 401k presentation that was like two days long that we'd hire a company to come in and do and like we had other things that outside trainers would come in for but diversity training was something we something i ran and you know what it consisted of i put in a dvd in a dvd player and then all the employees we had onboarded for about the last six weeks would come and watch it and then they would sign a thing at the end and then it was done and then yeah, six weeks later, we'd do it again with whoever we'd hired in the meantime. There you go. Yeah, I've I've been through a lot of office training in my life. It's all pretty much like that. It's either that's actually a blessing when there's some sort of video to watch. It's great because I hate the direct presentation, especially the it's just me and the person who's yeah. doing the that is the worst where it's like you have to pull your weight of energy through the meeting. No. 
put on a disc <laughs> with some crappy actors and I will have the best time of my life. I believe it was called um, Diversity Cafe and it was a long extended <laughs> metaphor about how every all the different <laughs> races sure were eaten in a cafe. It wasn't Diversity Buffet because that would be like a bit spot <laughs> that on. That would be better. Um, yeah, so Michael... Tells us, yeah, uh, yeah. call to adventure right off the bat. You know, it's it, yep. corporate has mandated this. Um, there's no refusal of the call. They can't. No refusing it's, allowed. It's and you happening. Th- yeah. And you think that the trainer would be a mentor, and there would be a meeting with a mentor scene uh, where this trainer provides training, which is the thing that the mentor does. But yeah. uh, but that's not really how it pans out. So, well, the the the, the call to adventure. Which takes him to the special world isn't what the character. We're focusing on Michael here. It's not what he wants at all. We're not going to reveal what Michael wants to get out of this. Well, actually, yeah, he does. He's like, I think diversity is important. I think it's a, you know, I think I should bring it to this office. Yeah. And he bristles at the fact that somebody from the outside is doing it. So yeah, it's interesting in Michael's because mind, we we don't reveal who the hero of this journey is or what journey we're on until we're well into it. Um, Very much so. Joseph, Joseph Campbell's sneaky, uh, late delayed hero reveal. So we are in the special world. J C S H R. Yeah. We're in the special world now. Uh, it's worth noting because it's, we're going to forget to bring it up until the end. Jim, it immediately goes to Jim, who's trying to make his biggest sale of the year. It's a one call. 25% of all of his commissions come from this one one person. All he's got to do is just make one phone call. But we see that he's being stopped by his deskmate, Dwight, who is uh, loudly shredding documents. Yes. Um, Jim and Dwight have a back and forth through the entire length of the series and some of the most heartwarming and rewarding moments are the very few occasions on which they're able to put their office revelry aside and work toward a common goal or temporarily come to a truce so something can get done. But this is not that episode. And he's got the shredder on his lap, so it's not even like under the desk. And Jim tells us that this is this account that he only has to make one phone call to re-up is 25% of his commission for the year. He brings a little bottle of champagne to the office every year on this day. And this is like a big, this is, you know, a lot of his, the thing about Jim is that he is the audience surrogate because he is the person who is in a job and he can tell how ridiculous this workplace is and how stupid his job is, but he has not let it break his spirit and he hasn't let it, he, he finds the fun little things that make it worth going there every day it's worth checking in with the gym plot because it is one of the few redeeming things, but, or one of the few sort of like heartening things that happens in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. They're still doing a little bit, the British thing, the thing holdover from the British series where there are little short shots of people typing and filing to sort of drive home how much boring busy work there is. Hopefully they're going to let this go eventually, which is strange because I mean, it's strange how I feel about it because I love that. In the British version, all those shots of mundanity, they just work so well. But in the American version, it just doesn't work. Like, for some reason, tonally, it just doesn't fit. And eventually, they're going to stop doing it. Like, the British office, you'll just see somebody passing a piece of paper. And it's mundane and ridiculous. And sometimes you'll find some humor in that. What they end up doing is, like, you'll cut to somebody who's doing 
like one one example is uh, in a later episode where Ryan the temp is walking around updating everybody's uh, emergency information, and there's a cutaway shot to him. He's clearly just asked uh, Kevin who his who his contact person is, and Kevin goes Stacy. And that's it. And it's hilarious because it's just Kevin saying Stacy in a real dumb way. But it's it's they're finding the humor in the mundane is where they finally end up. But, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, the humor in the mundane, but actually jokes and like human interaction as opposed to just like documentary style shots of boringness. Um, yeah. Now we're, we're fully into the tests, allies, and enemies portion. Dwight and Jim are going to have their back and forth through this whole episode. We've also set up Jim going over to get a piece of candy from Pam's desk and talking to her while she's playing solitaire, and he kind of checks in and flirts with her. And so we've got all that set up. And now the diversity trainer has set up the conference room, and he emerges from the conference room, and Michael has been waiting for him to walk out the door yes. so that Michael can walk out his office just just a little ahead of him and then go chat up make a big show of walking up to oscar martinez who's a latino employee and like palling around with him to show how cool he is with with non-white employees and oscar isn't like put off by this but he's a little surprised because he and michael aren't friends and michael is suddenly like how's your weekend buddy yeah we've talked about a lot the theme song trope of an actor turning around and being like say what are you doing there but that's exactly what <laughs> michael does in this moment he acts yeah. like he didn't know that the sensitivity trainer was standing behind him the sensitivity trainer whose first name we never learn is played by larry wilmore um yes. who was a writer for the show and a producer and at the table read for this episode they hadn't cast the part yet and greg daniels uh who was in charge of the whole thing had larry wilmore just read it to fill in and then afterwards he was like you are perfect for this role. So yes, uh, Michael puts on a big show and then diversity training begins. And it's clear that, that uh, Larry Wilmore Brown yes. um, is, is supposed to be up at the front teaching this to everybody and going through it. He's, it's, they're right. Larry Wilmore is perfect for this. He strikes just the right, like, I know this is dumb, but let's just get through it. And I'll try to make it as entertaining as possible. However, from the beginning, Michael is trying to co-run this meeting. Which, on a couple of levels, is annoying. First of all, because it's about diversity training and being sensitive to people who are members of minority groups. And Michael is white, and Mr. Brown is African American. So, that's the first thing. Even if they weren't... Even if it wasn't like, I've been hired by corporate to be the person that comes and does this job. It would be as though... Well, and as though nothing, as though a white person is trying to teach the diversity seminar when there's a perfectly capable black person that's been hired to do it standing right there. Yeah, and I would say I'd go even further than that to say he is trying to, he Michael is trying to do a thing where he's trying to say the exact same thing as Mr. Brown as he says it, but when it's clear they're saying different things, Michael doesn't relent. He more or less goes, well, that's a difference of opinion. Right. Like... He says that we're not trying to be, uh, Mr. Brown brings up the point that it's like, we're not trying to be colorblind. We're trying to celebrate diversity. You know, uh, being, being colorblind is only diversity through ignorance. And Michael says, instead of ignorance, tolerance. He's like, it's uh, diversity through tolerance. Yeah. And then Michael goes, well, agree to disagree. Right. Basically. There's also Larry Wilmore, or Larry Brown, is standing at the front of the room and Michael should be sitting in a 
in one of the rows, but he's standing next to him with his arms crossed. Like I am also part of the presentation um, until Larry finally tells him you need to sit down and also can, and he, but the way he does it is he phrases it. It's, can I have your permission to lead the session, Michael? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. That is, that is by the way, perfect. It's mm-hmm. perfect office etiquette stuff, but I have thought about that ever since that I'm like, that's just so spot on as right. like what you would do to deal with that situation in a professional setting would be like, could I get your permission to run this meeting? Right. But this is right after Michael has says has said, uh, why don't we go around and everybody say a race that they are attracted to sexually? Yes. Which, which is, is phenomenal. Uh, and also Dwight immediately raises his hand and he's like, I have two, white and Indian. And he's sitting next to Kelly Kapoor, who's the only Indian American employee. Yep. And there's a little bit of thing that the office is famous for, which is they cut to her reaction shot, just silent reaction shot with the camera, um, documentary style. Michael can't help but try to pull focus and be in charge. Like he doesn't know another way to operate inside the realm of the office. He could never take a back seat to anyone doing anything. It doesn't actually matter. It seems like, it seems like, like if you're the boss, when I worked in HR, we were so excited when these diversity people would come and do our job for us for a day. Mm-hmm. Or any yeah. any sort of outside training would come, would be like, woohoo, this is basically a day off for us. But Michael yeah. can't let anyone else take the reins. Um, he also has to appear. He has to like put on the performance of being the wokest one in the office, period. Because if today people are getting rewarded for being woke, then he's got to he's gotta win. He's gotta win everything. And yeah. Yeah. um we haven't gotten to the point in the series yet where Steve Carell is going to figure out how to mellow out this character so you can actually root for him in season yeah. in in season 1 he's still trying to do a bit of a Ricky Gervais kind of take on this character and the Ricky Gervais character first of all the British office is only two seasons and you can yeah. you can watch someone be that self-serving and narcissistic and clueless and brutish and bullying for two seasons and it's still funny you can't do that you can't watch that for nine seasons like there's no, no way not at all no and, and I think they're the 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 root of where they'll send uh, Steve they'll send Michael and I think that it's you know the 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 it's definitely Steve Carell and Stephanie Greg Daniels uh, and writers on this show, it's hinted at in here. It's just not fully realized where, yes, he wants to be like the British office. He wants to be someone who he wants to be like a star. He wants to be a star of the show. He wants to be the best character in this documentary from the, the character's point of view. He's like, I want to be the best at diversity. I want to know everything. But then when things fall apart from him, he, already in season one defaults to I want everybody in this office to like me. And that's where they really get his heart. He is a man who has been laughed at his entire life. Finally in a place where he thinks he can get people to laugh with him, but he doesn't, he never, this character, even after he mellows out and becomes a person with like a heart that you can trust. He never understands that he has, that the power differential is such that he can't do things like fake fire people yeah. because you can't, if you're the boss 
then you can't be cruel to people for a laugh. You can't make people the butt of your joke. Like, it doesn't hit the same way. You're always punching down. Well, he's told that, yeah, they'll, they'll tell him that directly. He, his former boss, Ed Truck, in one episode is like, you can't be the boss and their friends. And Michael refuses to believe that. Right. He's like, no, we are all best friends. And if, this, and, you know, if the events of this episode had happened... Even in season two or three, we would have probably gotten an apology from him to the person he yeah. hurt the most at the end of the episode. But this is episode two. Um, yep. It's interesting. There's a lot of, of course, there's been a lot of writing in the AV club about the office uh, in general. And there is a fantastic um, article about this episode and the pilot. But one of mm-hmm. the things that the writer points out that I think is interesting is that the the more noxious abrasive version of Michael Scott never really suited Steve Carell like it was it, it worked really well for Ricky Gervais but it never really suited Steve Carell the way that he figures out to have a heart is to be himself the way that he figures out how to relate to people is actually just to be honest and vulnerable with them and not to have to be the big show you know like not to have to pretend that a, he knows yeah. everything and that's an eternal struggle between and then and in this episode as well. Again, this episode really foreshadows a lot of what they'll finally figure out in the next season and definitely hit their stride in the third season. Um, is that the struggle is between Michael wanting to be uh, liked by everybody and wanting to care about the people in his office? It's just it. it those are the two things that drive him, and they're always. At odds. When they take away the fact that he wants the world watching the documentary to like him and just wants people in the office to like him, but also wants to be their best friends, that's when it's perfect. That's when it's like, you can't do both of those things, but he's going to try to find a way no matter what. Yeah. Back to episode two. All that's coming down the line. Um, Episode two, uh, Larry gets, regains control of the temporarily control the presentation by asking Michael mm-hmm. if he may be allowed to run it and having Michael sit nice. down. He's also at the beginning of this, he's, he's, excuse me, at the beginning of this, he's taken complaint cards from everybody. He wanted everybody to detail something in the office. That's a concern of theirs in relation to diversity. He specifically said, is there an, a workplace incident that has made you uncomfortable? Like a specific yes. thing that has happened yeah. here right. that has made you uncomfortable. Um, but before he reads those, Dwight raises his hand and says, can we not talk about gay people? Because that's an orientation, not a race. Right. And also lots of races are intolerant of gay people. So paradox. And I was like, real tough. Oh shit. Like what's the, what's the next thing that comes after that? Like, how do you deal with that? And as the writer of the episode and Larry Wilmore just says, we only have an hour. <laughs> like we're not, this is, we can't tackle that today, which is funny. Did you hear what? Did you hear what Dwight says in relation to that? What does he say? I actually saw it just because I had subtitles on. I don't think you can actually hear it. Dwight says, well, time saver then. Oh, yes, yes. So the funny thing is that they will have a whole episode about gay sensitivity. It's just an example of like how this show will lob up something uncomfortable and then everyone will stare at it and then they don't feel the need to like wrap it up. So in diversity training, uh, uh, Larry Brown gets to the heart of the matter. He says that what people put on their cards was the reason he was called into the office. And it's because someone in the office imitated a Chris Rock routine, very famous uh, Chris Rock routine from, I can't remember which album, but uh, so it becomes very clear that Michael has verbatim said this Chris Rock 
uh, uh, routine, which has dozens and dozens of instances of the N-word in it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. this is, so now we know. So Larry has, Larry is like, this is what I've been sent here to resolve. And we cut to Michael talking head. And Michael is like, I just don't understand why Chris Rock can do this this and everyone loves him and then I do it and then people file a complaint about me with corporate and is it because I'm white and he's black and he pauses this like a gotcha question but he only gotchas himself and like it's true he'll never realize it though which is another trope of the series is that he'll say something that implicates himself and not not hear it um, yeah. and now we actually realize what journey we're on because up to this point it's like is this just going to be a day in the life like whose episode is this and maybe it's Larry Brown, the sensitivity trainer's journey to come sure. here and turn these people around. We don't know. But now it turns out, as it does so many times in the office, that Michael has created a problem. It's all his fault. And now he's going to be on a journey. And what, and the journey will usually be, is he going to admit he was wrong and apologize? Or is right. he just going to piss everyone off further and then it will, like we're talking about, they'll just have to suck it up. So the way that this comes down, it's just brilliant. So, uh, Larry Brown asks for a volunteer to sort of recreate the scene. And Michael's like, I'll do it. And he's like, no, let's have somebody who wasn't involved. (laughs) And so he gets Kevin and Michael is so upset that Kevin is going to play the, the, the part, his part, uh, Kevin gets up and he's, he's mostly mumbling through it because he's trying not to say all of the, the, you know, incredibly caustic, uh, parts of this, the N-words and things like that. He also and speaks Michael, slowly. Kevin, that character, yeah, he's also, like, just speaks yeah. very slowly. Right. And so Michael just loses it. He's upset at Kevin's comic sensibilities, and he interrupts and starts doing the routine again, unstopped. He, he will not be stopped and just is spewing this this you know, inappropriate thing until Larry Brown just has to scream at him to stop. Yeah, complete with... Chris Rock vocal impression as well. So he's yeah, doing like a, an impression of an African-American person and he's screaming expletives. He's screaming like the N word. Now it's all, it's all beeped. Everyone in the office is covering their faces. Larry is shocked and dismayed. Fun fact during this, the filming of this, he really is saying all of those. Steve Carell is really? saying all those expletives Boof. and they were bleeped out by the producers and Greg Daniels was terrified that this was going to leak unedited. So yeah. he personally oversaw the censoring of the master copy um, because he didn't want it to get out. And I'm like, you know what else, though, is just yet you don't film him saying those words and you cut to the reaction shots and we hear That's the, the thing. You can you could probably do some uh, what's that called acting about yeah. the whole thing. It's a documentary. I known one way or the other. It's right. Fine. Like they could. He just said Rutabaga, and they could have beeped that, and everybody could have just been shocked. Yeah, and cut yeah. to the faces of people covering mm. their faces with their hands. Yep. If you're that I, worried yeah. about it. Sure. And also, don't make don't make people listen to that. Don't make somebody say that. Yeah. So horribly offensive things under any, you know, even in, in the, the context is still, yeah, anyway. Also, so like, he's not going to be punished for this. That's the thing is, like, no. it would be different if then he got some sort of comeuppance. But this is his punishment. It's supposed to be correcting it, and he's just doing it again. So yeah. outside the conference room, Jem's phone is ringing, and he stares at it through the glass helplessly. He wasn't able to complete his big sale phone call earlier because of the shredding, and then he tried to do it right before this started, and Michael made him hang up 
up and come into the conference room. And so he's right. got to get this phone call done. Like this whole 25% of his year's pay depends on this phone call happening today. And right. this diversity training, which is only supposed to take an hour, keeps getting in the way of this phone call. So now Larry does the thing that happens in HR the more than anything else, um, which is giving ha- helpful acronyms. Um, yeah. So he gives us this acronym for diversity sensitivity, which is HERO, honesty, Uh empathy, respect, and open-mindedness. And there's a scene, uh, or there's a shot of Michael beginning to scribble something down um, very quickly, and that doesn't pay off because what, what the payoff was cut, but it was him creating his own acronym, which, uh, apparently spelled incest and he didn't realize until he <laughs> showed it. To oh, I remember group. that. I've seen that deleted scene or yeah. read it at least. That's so funny. And Dwight disagrees that that's what a hero is. And he starts describing a hero as somebody who's, you know, mutated in some way, someone with extraordinary powers who childhood has to trauma, childhood trauma that has to be avenged. And right. Larry Brown says, that's actually a superhero. Superhero. Describing. Yeah. yeah. So, this is it. This is the whole thing. This is all of the diversity training. And Mr. Brown gives them all a form to sign, a form that we have all signed a billion times before that says, don't be a fucking jerk. Yeah. Um, it's a group pledge is how it's placed. And Michael says, I can't sign this because I didn't learn anything that I didn't already know, which he's trying to be sage again. But it's like, you're being obtuse about this ridiculous thing. Yeah. And it's like one final like pushback against like, well... You didn't actually do a good job because I already knew all of this because I know all of this. Yes. And as we know now, he's the hero of the journey. And if he actually grew as a human or even just cooperated at this point, the episode (laughs) would be over. So he can't. Um, And then Michael is like, can we can we change it? So it says that I taught something or I helped you teach (laughs) something. I could sign that. And Larry is at this point. He's been preternaturally calm up to this point, except for the part where he was shouting at Michael to stop, you know, the expletive related rant. And then I I wrote, someone must have warned him about Michael. Um, He asked, he says, may I speak with you candidly, by which he means alone in your office out of earshot of the rest of the employees. And he levels with Michael. He's like, we both know I'm here because of comments that you made. Everyone had to sit through that workshop because of what you did. And in fact, only you need to sign that form. I only passed it out to everyone because I didn't want to embarrass you, but this is all coming from corporate until you sign that form. I can't leave. You are the problem. And Michael, as he does when he's embarrassed, decides to lash out. Exactly. He signs the form and like tosses it at him. And like when he gets his copy of it, he just tosses it aside and then reads some of it to the talking head cutaway. He reads some of it and then says, uh, holds up his copy and uh, he has signed it Daffy Duck. Yeah. And then he gives a super evil grin. Um, It's kind of chilling. Uh, he's like, he's going <laughs> to flip out when he sees this. And it's like, oh, God, he, you just, everyone will just have to sit through it again. Like, you don't understand that your actions have consequences for yeah. everyone in the office. Meanwhile, we check in with our B-plot. Jim is trying to get back in touch with his big client, but the guy's now out to lunch, and it's very stressful. And Jim, right. who normally does not get flustered by stuff at the office, and is sort of like one of the ways he infuriates Dwight is by being calm, is mm-hmm. beginning to show real signs of stress here because this is 
if he can't get the sale somehow, if he loses it because the client gets annoyed with him, that's 25% of his year's pay. So Michael comes out of his office at this point, reading the form in a goofy voice. He talks about having empathy and a kind heart. And he's like, okay, I agree with that stuff, but (laughs) that guy didn't understand us. He says there wasn't a direct connection. There was no emotion. And where was his Oprah moment? Yes, he's like, I'm going to do it. I am going to do more diversity training this afternoon. And I'm going to have you all in tears. And never never mind that everyone knows that he is the problem. He is the yeah. he is the rotten apple that rotted the barrel, that the reason this all had to start. Yeah. But he's like, He no, himself you know has what? forgotten this in <laughs> order to just prove that I know everything. I'm I can I can do this better. That guy didn't know any of what he was talking about, so we need to do this whole thing again. Right. He didn't know us. And I know us. We're all gathering in the conference room after lunch. Also, this is another uh, running theme throughout the... the whole series is that Michael loves to have everybody in the conference room to have yep. some sort of training because he he doesn't do much in his office by himself and he can't no. stand to be alone and out of the spotlight. And the fact that other people have work to do never impedes him from calling a session. It just, it, if he just wants to hang out. The most, yeah, it makes the most sense. It is everyone has to gather and pay attention to him. It is the most abused power that he has, yep. which is everybody come in and listen to whatever I have to say and be quiet. And you'll, you'll have to do that for the rest of the afternoon. It's the, he takes the entire afternoon. So yep. they're in there for, you know, four to five to six hours, yep. however long. So, uh, yeah, there's a, a dot matrix printout of a banner that says diversity day. Take two. Take two. Uh, and everybody's filing in. And here I think is where we get our first Michael versus Toby moment. Yes, it is our first. So yeah, Toby comes in and, uh, you know, makes an offhanded remark. He's like, Oh, we're not all sitting in a, sit in a circle Indian style. And Michael's like, get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's it. He's like, get out. You don't, like, you're that's not, offensive. don't be here. Um, yeah. And he's upset not because the term Indian style is offensive, but because everyone laughed and he cannot have any competition for the exactly. spotlight. Um, exactly. So this is the fun trivia effect. Toby, the head of HR, is played by Paul Lieberstein, who's another writer, um, like Larry Wilmore, like B.J. Novak and Mindy Kaling, who are both acting in this episode as well. And he mm-hmm. didn't want to appear in the episode and only did it because they told him it would be a one-time event. Right, there you go. But Kevin Riley was so impressed by his work, and he was like, the show could use this more. And then he eventually expanded this character into Toby Flenderson, one of Michael's greatest nemeses in the entire (laughs) Dunder Mifflin universe. It turns out to be just the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, anytime you see uh, a tertiary character get up and leave, like you'll see it in this one when Mindy Kaling's like, I've got to go. And you'll see that B.J. Novak's just sitting out in reception throughout the entire thing. It's because they were writing. In fact, I, I, uh, I heard that the reason the annex area was created, a place for B.J. Novak, Mindy Kaling, and Toby's uh, character, Paul, Paul's character, is so that they would have a place to, to, for the characters to be while they were in the writer's room. Yeah, generally speaking, uh, Mindy Kaling has said this in her first book, the more you see of her in an episode, the less she wrote of it. So it was sort of like, um, 
you had to pick, kind of pick. It's a fun problem to have to decide. Truly. Do I want to write more of this episode or do I want to act in more of this episode? If someone's got a really this. great like Kelly storyline going, then I have to like relinquish my need to to chip in to write it because I need to be acting in it. Right. Um. So Michael starts yes. his diversity. This is one of my favorite things in this entire episode. So yeah, Michael's going to do his presentation and he starts, he starts by playing a videotape that he recorded over lunch. And Larry uh, Brown was from a company called Diversity Today. And so right. Michael introduces himself as the founder of Diversity Tomorrow because today is almost over. And <laughs> exactly. it's just him in his in like the hallway at Dunder Mifflin. And it's, he puts it's his not I was going to say, it's not even the hallway. It's the front entrance. It's, he's by the couch right next to reception. So he's saying this in front of everybody. He's recording this whole video. Yes, in front of a Dunder Mifflin sign. He's like, I'm the mm -hmm. head of diversity tomorrow. And there's a big sign that says Dunder Mifflin behind him. And he puts his foot up on a chair like Captain Morgan and spouts mm -hmm. a made-up Abe Lincoln quote that's basically yeah. something like, if you're a racist, I will attack you with the North. That is a like quote from Abe Lincoln, and those are the principles I carry with me into the workplace. What? Tape over. That's the end of it. That's it. That's, that's it. it. That's all he had time to record. Like, Jim is like, is that all of it? And he's like, well, that's all I had time to do. I'll yeah. add more to it later. <laughs> right. Though. And this is where Kelly gets up and leaves for a customer meeting. Yeah. That she has. And he says to her, she's like, I have to go. I have a client meeting. And he goes, well, if you leave, we only have two. <laughs> yes. No. Namaste. Go. And what he means is <laughs> exactly. we only have two uh, diverse, diverse, quote unquote, diverse yeah. employees left in the in the seminar. Um, yeah. So Michael then introduces himself like they don't know him and says he's two fifteenths Native American. And Oscar yeah. points out that this fraction makes no sense. And Michael says, well, it's hard for me to talk about their suffering, which is my favorite joke <laughs> in this entire episode. It is. It's so he immediately turns about. it uh, back to uh, Oscar and says, this is, this is my actually favorite uh, moment in this episode. He asks Oscar about his background. Oscar explains that his parents were born in Mexico and came to America and that he was born in America. And Michael asks, is there a term besides Mexican that you prefer? Something less offensive. Yeah. And Oscar says Mexican isn't offensive. And Michael goes, well, it has certain connotations, which I think is just brilliant. It's so like, good. Ridiculous. So blind to what you're saying. Uh, uh, dialogue. And it's then just, Oscar presses really him on beautiful. it. He's like, what are those? What are those connotations? What are you talking about? Obviously you have right. an opinion and we don't know this yet about Oscar, but Oscar is like probably the most cultured erudite person in the office. Like later there will right. be jokes about how he's uh, the walking, talking well, actually of the office. Um, yeah. and so Michael's like, no, Michael's not going to get away with him being like, well, that word has connotations without Oscar being like, go on. What are what the connotations mean? of which you speak? Also, you can't just have Michael say things like this and nobody ever responds. Somebody has got to be like, what? No, continue that thought, that horrible, yeah. wrong minded thought. 
And that's so when Michael realizes he's done something wrong, only if yeah. someone calls him on it. He never hears it when he says it. It's only no. off their reaction shots, like their faces, or if someone presses him to go further, that he second, that he like proofreads his thing he's already said and is like, oh right. yeah, no, that was bad. He lives He lives in his own intentions, and Michael mm. always believes his intentions are altruistic. Mm-hmm. So it's when somebody calls him out that he's like, oh, that... My good intentions came across wrong, and right. Sorry, do you from, misinterpreted my good intentions. It's exactly, exactly that because it's mostly like he'll either like play it off or just tell the person to shut up. Yeah, uh, which is usually the thing. So Michael passes out cards for everyone to put on their foreheads, and then everybody's going to have discussions to try to figure out what the card on their forehead says. Yes, um, uh, this is. Pam, I'm sorry. I'm calling this. Approaching the inmost cave. Um, sure. Because yeah. Michael has made these cards. He's passing them out. They have different, quote, races on them. Yeah. Um, even though Michael's card that he gives himself says Martin Luther King Jr., uh, which is not yep. a race. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he has, everyone has to put these cards on their head. Um, and Michael is, I'm calling this the approach to the inmost cave because he has now created a situation in which something is guaranteed to go wrong and how he deals with that when it happens if he's able to own up to his mistakes and grow from them or not will determine the fate of his hero's journey in this episode so normally the hero approaches the inmost cave michael has built a tiny inmost cave inside this conference room <laughs> and he is creating yeah. the supreme ordeal. He has created this he's problem from the beginning. Now he's created everybody an inmost in cave. There with him. Exactly. Yeah. So Absolutely. he's passing these cards out. Oh, in the meantime, Jim's phone has been ringing and he dives for it, but he's, there's no one there by the time he gets to his desk. So we get the feeling again, he's missed the opportunity to like close this deal. He has to close today. So that's still going on in the background as well. Michael notes that he passed out all sorts of cards, but he says it's, it's quote, he didn't do any, he didn't do Arab because it's too soon for Arabs. Yeah. And maybe next year the ball's in their court. Yeah. Uh, thanks, 2005, Michael. The first uh, races, the first three races that we see are Italian, Jewish, and Jamaican. Those are the right. first three races. Oh well, Pam is talking to Stanley, and Pam has Jewish uh, on her card, and Stanley, the African American employee, his card says "bless." This is my favorite thing in the episode is the conversation that that Stanley and Pam have as yeah. uh, uh, these races. Yeah, so this is an interesting... This whole setup is completely flawed because what Michael wants to do is to have everybody be super stereotypical, if not racist, toward everyone else in the room based on what they have on their heads to, I guess, give everyone the feeling of being discriminated against because of their race. It's, I mean, this it's is... very it, muddled. It <laughs> is, idea. because the idea is like... Stanley already is a black guy in the office. So technically everyone would just treat Stanley like they always treat Stanley, you know, that nothing should change. But Michael is trying to push people to be more offensive, be more racist. As he says, let the sparks fly, stir the pot. Yeah. He wants to have a breakthrough. He wants to have people break through and break down. But Dwight calls it out later when he's, he treats it as a competition. He's like, say something super stereotypical so I can get it right away. Well, that's how this game is played at parties. You know, like normally it's historical <laughs> figures and you walk yeah, around exactly. and then you collect information and then you're like, oh, I'm Abraham Lincoln or whatever. But now he's made that this racist thing. And the only way for this to be successful, he doesn't realize that in order 
to combat racism, he's trying to make people be super racist, and why yeah. that's a flawed way to combat racism. It's a double down a on game, the problem. Yeah, he set up a game where people are talking to each other and boiling down the person into a a race. It's not he's he's, he's making people into stereotypes. It, it, that's the exercise. Yeah, and he's that's making the only way to the people who normally treat each other with respect and kindness. I, I, I everyone in this office is not him who doesn't have right. a problem with this. He's making them be problematic with each other when they're getting along just fine, except for him. And right. case in point is Stanley, who is both black and quote black according to the card, and mm-hmm. Pam, who has a card that says Jewish are just having a pleasant conversation and Michael comes along to sideline sideline coach and he's like, this is the Olympics of suffering, slavery versus the Holocaust, come on! Like, he's mad that they're not being worse to each other. Yeah, or just bringing things up. It's, it's, It's so misguided. So, yes, we have Dwight running around and he's like, ugh, it doesn't help me that my, he's got Asian, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It doesn't help me that they like rice. Lots of cultures like rice. And True. so that's when he is, he, he tries to get Pam to say it. There's also Kevin and Angela. Uh, Kevin is Italian yes. and Angela is Jamaican, which, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Kevin is like, do you want to go to the beach? Do you want to get high? I think you do, Mon. It's just, it's ridiculous. This whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. Yes, and Michael and is getting exasperated that nobody is, you know, crying or having an Oprah moment yet. Right. It's been like seconds. And he, he, he makes Pam, he's goading Pam to say something to Dwight, a racist about Asian people. And Pam knows she has to do this because he's her boss. And so she equivocates, she, like, she pre- prefaces it with, okay, if I have to do this, based on stereotypes that are untrue and that I do not agree with, mm-hmm. you maybe, maybe are not, like, a good driver. And Dwight screams, oh, man, am I a woman? With, like, such derision in his voice. And it's like, yep, we're going to have so a whole good. episode about gender sensitivity, too. Um, yep. So we do, it at one point, cut to Pam's desk, where Ryan the Temp, uh, BJ Novak, who wrote this episode, mm-hmm. has downloaded Chappelle's show onto her computer... And he's watching it and laughing, and he's like, do you think she'll mind? And Jim's like, nah, she's, you know, she's fine. I think she likes this. And then uh, he, Ryan, watching the screen, goes, she's cute, isn't she? And Jim goes, yeah, yeah, but you know, she's married. And he's like, uh, I'm talking about the girl on the show. And the Chappelle show. Which, yep. if you didn't watch The British Office and you don't know that the Jim character and the Pam character are, let, he's, like, very in love with her, this would right. be your introduction kind of to that this he's got this long simmering crush on this engaged girl also sure. the the inclusion of the mention of Chappelle's show is like the perfect thing for him to have downloaded um yeah at this point in history and also with diversity training it's like ryan is getting a better education in diversity yeah. training watching <laughs> Chappelle's sure. show uh yep while everyone is in the conference room than anybody is getting in the conference room so now we are getting we have gotten to the supreme ordeal no Boy, one is playing is Michael's fucking... racist game in a racist enough way for his liking. He really wishes everyone were being more racist in this racism, well, uh, anti-racism training. And hopefully, and luckily, a opportunity presents presents itself when Kelly wanders back in as Michael's ranting about how people aren't being realistic enough, right. aren't being, aren't pushing it enough, 
Uh, and Kelly walks back into the room, and uh, Chelsea, I'll let you talk about it because it's ugh, well, it's yeah. So, so here's uh, it's so cringy and upsetting. Here's Kelly Kapoor, Mindy Kaling, uh, who the other person who wrote this episode. She says she's been in meeting this whole time. She hasn't. She doesn't know that this card game is going on. She doesn't know that At people all. are in here acting race, supposedly acting racist. Yeah. And she comes into the conference room, and Michael gets the attention of the group, and then he rounds on her like she's not even two feet into the room. She's coming through the door and he launches into this completely racist, like a poo style Indian accent saying he's a convenience store owner and just, just yelling at her in this accent directly into her face. And when she can't take it anymore, she slaps him super hard without a word, just slaps him across the face and leaves the room and it's so cathartic. It's like yep. everyone, everyone watching at home and everyone in the room is both like, oh, shit, what happens now? And thank God this can't go on Truly. any longer. And my favorite thing uh, in, that happens here, because I have been slapped once in public when I was in seventh grade Mrs. Alexander's class. I made a short joke mm-hmm. about uh, a girl that I thought was very funny. She did not. And slapped me in the face. And I almost burst into tears. There's nothing... I've been punched full on in the face. I've been, you know, I've, I've been hurt. But there is nothing quite as embarrassing and upsetting than, like, just being slapped. And I was like, it took everything I had not to just, like, break down in tears. Yeah. And Michael is the same way. He's mm-hmm. like... He's definitely choking back tears, and he's like, now she knows what it's like to be a minority. Yeah, he tries to really turn it around. He's like, she gets it. Now she's doing it right. She knows, you know, now she, yep. now, now that I did now. that incredibly racist thing to her, this Indian-American woman knows what it's like to be a minority. A minority, exactly. And so that was the supreme ordeal, but now we don't know if he's learned it. He just pushed the situation to the point where he it had to stop, you know, like we don't know yeah. if he's learned anything, if he's succeeded or failed or even really how to define that. Well, he, I think that if there's any resolution or a journey back, if, if you want to even call it that after the slap, this next scene, Michael is still running diversity day, take two, but now he's talking about how he's upset. What he's really upset about is that Mr. Brown came in here and he told me what to do and he doesn't know any of us and he thinks he knows what's best for us. Yeah. That's what he's actually upset about. And he's actually talking about that. It's not a solid win for this character, but at least it's, you know, a bit of a catharsis for him to talk about the thing that is actually bothering him instead of just like, I'll show this guy, I'll show him that I'm better. But it's not, there's no, there's no healing of the community for the office because they can't Mm -hmm. go back to acting like they don't know how racist and clueless their boss is. You know, like clueless, if you're being generous and, um, unconsciously biased racist if you're not being generous. Their boss is. They He's been doing this routine, this Chris Rock routine. They complained. He he was brought to task. He learned nothing. And then he mm-hmm. did something very pointed. Like, there's the Chris Rock routine is something he's mimicking because he thinks it's funny and he's tone deaf about right. it being racist. The thing he did to Kelly, he just made up in the moment. Like, that, yeah, you know? Exactly. 
and they all witnessed it and he's not going to apologize to her and he's not going to no. apologize to anybody not in season one not this early and so this is going to be one of the things where he learns nothing um he makes it entirely about himself and then everyone just has to be like is this over yet can we just move on can it just be five o'clock and we come back tomorrow yeah. so i think if you if you take a look at this character specifically though and there's I'm sure it was floated somewhere in the writing process to why don't we have him just say, I'll never say that Chris Rock stuff again. Why don't we have him say, I'm going to sign that form. Uh, why don't we have him give any sort of, you know, anything. Why don't we give him anything to learn? And they don't do it because I think that that's not the character. I think the character resets by assuming that, you know, he's back to normal. Like right. he's got control of the office again. And if you want to look look at this, you know, even more in depth, technically Michael wanted to have a big emotional breakthrough moment, and Michael does have a big emotional breakthrough moment that leaves him in tears uh, at the end of his diversity day training. That's true. And then you know, so I mean, that's one way of looking at it. And I think that if you're doing a character where it's like. If this character learns anything, we lose the we lose the, the essence of the character. Right. So the this is where what's going on with Jim becomes very important and sort of takes center stage. So Jim has finally now, right before five o'clock, finally connected with this um, paper client, and he says. Okay, great. I just need your approval, and I'm so glad I didn't lose your sale today. And I'm, you know, right. like I'm so glad that this is that our relationship continues. And then we don't hear the client's side of it, but what what it amounts to is that Dwight swooped in at some point during the day and stole the client from him. So the client is still with Dunder Mifflin, but he now has Dwight's code instead of Jim's code, which is totally how these things work in these like weird corporate bureaucracies. And yep. now Dwight is going to get 25% of Jim's paycheck for the year, which is an insane loss. Like that's a huge yeah. amount of money to lose because, because, and Dwight well knew what he was doing. It wasn't about the client. Yeah, exactly. It was about like, Oh, Jim's going to lose this relationship. This big client for the office. Dwight knew that, that this was going on all day and he took advantage of it. And so Jim is just like to the client. He's just like, yeah, so I'm so glad we didn't lose your business. And he puts the little bottle of champagne on Dwight's desk. And then he goes back into the conference room where he sits in the back and Pam is falling asleep, and she falls asleep on his shoulder, and he smiles. And yeah. then he has a little talking head, and it's the very last thing we see of this episode, and he says, not a bad day. And yeah. this, is the, this is the moment where we feel some sort of, like, heartening balance to what's happened yeah. with Michael, which is just like, oh, God, super depressing, tone-deaf boss learns nothing he feels slightly better, but no one else in the office gets any relief. He hasn't learned that he needs to stop doing that Chris Rock routine or anything else. But here is this other person who still has this like beautiful personal love connection thing going on that happens to be happening at an office, but really is about something deeper. And, and we still get to turn the TV off after this episode and be like, I want to see what happens in episode three as opposed to like exactly. this shitty guy's never going to learn anything. Why would I watch him do this to these employees for the rest of this season? It does. It adds, it adds a second layer that that's really compelling to it. 
and it's funny that it's in the form of a will they, won't they kind of a thing. But we were talking about this, I think, just before we started recording. This was supposed to be the pilot and just, yeah, it really should have been. Mm -hmm. Like this, you might as well just watch this as the first episode. Um, yeah, the the pilot for the American version is just a rehash of the British one. It's not, it's not great, but this one is super smart all the way around. Yeah, uh, it sets up everything that you need to know about most everybody, really. Um, and you'll have more time to get to know these characters as you go along. But it sets up the major themes of you know the day to day life in quote the office. Yep, I'm gonna link to the AV Club article, which is mm -hmm. really great. It's a specifically an article about the pilot and the and this episode and talking about a lot of what you're talking about of how it's like the this writer posits that it may have been a a stipulation of the adaptation agreement or like them getting the rights that they yeah. they had to incorporate a certain amount of the DNA of the British series into the pilot for the American reboot. So one of the things that I love about um, this uh, article is that the writer says, The Office is one of the best TV redemption stories of the last decade, and I don't just mean the redemption of Michael Scott, a character introduced as a petty workplace bully and sent off into the sunset as a salt-and-pepper-haired mentor who finally found a family outside the walls of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. I'm also talking about the transformation the office underwent between its first season and its second, in which a half-formed adaptation of a classic Britcom blossomed into its own distinctly American take on how work shapes our lives and vice versa. In the twilight of the broadcast networks, the American office became the final standard bearer of must-see TV lineage, a show that paved the way for sitcoms of similarly high quality and inventiveness, but one that still drew an impressive number of eyeballs. So I hadn't thought about that before, about this was the end of the sort of like, you know, this was a little bit before streaming started. This was the last thing where everyone was watching the same sitcom. It's worth noting that the first thing that was available on the iPod video screen was the first season of The Office. That was the, the first thing I believe that you could buy and download onto your iPod to watch. There was also like they released a table read of I think this episode online to drum up attention for the show before they before they um, premiered and they did a lot of like webisodes and things before that was a real sure. thing. So they, they straddled the line between streaming and network. Um, hmm. And another thing the writer says about this um, episode is that the the show digs a hole for itself in the pilot um, of being like, oh shit, is this just going to be a watered down American version of the Stephen Merchant, Ricky Gervais show? But mm. Diversity Day climbs back out of it. Um, yeah. And so it had a lot of work to do, not just to like, in terms of we had to show people this show and be like, if you liked the British one, you're going to like this one too. And now we have to say, but also this is going to be a very different show, but also still stick with us. So it's, it's right. a tall order to set up for episode two. It is. And, you know, it, the success lies in the fact that it, it went. It, it definitely is one of the most beloved shows ever, really. I mean, we've yeah. talked about watching it multiple times. I, I, can't, I don't know how many times I've gone from beginning to end on The Office. Yeah. Yeah, this show just makes me feel, even in these early seasons where I'm like, ooh, this Michael, 
this Michael bears <laughs> yeah. a resemblance to, but is so much less uh, warm and fuzzy than the Michael that we will send off into the sunset um, yeah. in season seven or eight. Uh, this, Something. even now, I watch it and I'm like, oh, look at Jim's season one hair. Oh, we haven't even really met <laughs> Meredith yet, yep. except that he refers to her as Brazil. As uh, that's her race, <laughs> as he sends her out right. the door. You know, like I'm just looking at them, and I'm like, look at all my friends I haven't really met yet in yeah. season one episode. Look at two. how ridiculous. Yeah, look at look at this one slight introduction of this character that you're going to get to know so well. So well. Uh, do you have anything before we launch into hugging and learning? What would you say, and I'm I'm always hard-pressed to answer this on the spot, but I'll, I'm sure I'll think of something. What mm-hmm. would you say is a thing in the office, like a line or a moment or something like that, that you, like, you know how you have pop culture stuff roaming around in your head that gets triggered every now and then? Um, it, it, what would you say, like, a famous, like, an office quote or something like that, that that keeps coming up for you would be, or something that you find yourself re, you know, reciting from time to time? It's the golden ticket episode. And yes. the one client has gotten all the golden tickets, and they're going to lose a ton of money. And it's because of uh, something Michael did, but he thinks it's the warehouse's fault. So he comes down to the warehouse, and he starts yelling at Daryl Philbin, who's the warehouse manager, who's one of my favorite characters, because he's the only mm-hmm. person who straight up in the moment calls Michael on his bullshit, because he doesn't yeah. work for Michael. He works directly for corporate. So he comes yeah. down. Michael comes downstairs, and he goes, you idiot, right? And Daryl and Daryl goes, nope, start over. <laughs> That's one of my, Start over. It's one of Michael's my favorite. Like, you listen to me. <laughs> that is truly solid. Did I say this on mic or off mic? The thing about Ryan and and Michael complaining. The yes. The, so Michael, I don't know if you said that on mic or off mic. Well, the thing I think about most often is Michael's complaining to um, the CFO. Fuck me, Andy. Uh, what's his name? Oh, the guy with the glasses, David um, Wallace. David Wallace. Michael is complaining to David Wallace about Ryan, and he's like, Ryan's being a little bitch again. This is when Ryan is the, the, like, the head of regional sales or whatever. It's, Ryan's being a little bitch again. And Ryan chimes in. He's like, I'm on the call, Michael. And Michael immediately goes, what's up, my brother? <laughs> I also love uh, the episode where Andy is trying to get the information to Aaron that he has a crush on her. So he, mm-hmm. but he gives her the wrong Valentine. So then he sends an, right. a company wide email to everyone because Kelly thinks that he likes her and he sends a company wide email. It's like, I don't like anybody in the office. And Kelly comes <laughs> running out of the annex and she's like, did you just send an email saying that you don't like me? Do you know how hard that makes me like you? <laughs> <laughs> I also really appreciate the, um, there's a, a meme that goes around uh, where it's a picture of Kelly from the weight loss episode where she <laughs> yes. just looks like ashen and dying. And then a picture of her like, I think it's the her jumping up and down in the Victoria's Secret from that one episode. It's those two side by side. Right. 
And it says, if you can't take me at my Kelly weight loss episode, you don't deserve me at my <laughs> Kelly Victoria's Secret episode. I also love this to go on all day, but I love the yeah, Sweeney truly. Todd episode. I know that's controversial and a lot of people don't like it, but I love okay, the Andy is in Sweeney Todd episode, sure. the cold open where the actors come to do a bit of viral marketing at the office and they're just singing the Christ. song. I fucking love it. And then when it's revealed that Michael did an entire episode of Law and Order as his audition for <laughs> Yes. for that show and then at the very end with the tag when they show you his audition where he's just doing an entire episode the whole thing I just love it I, I got one more that <laughs> okay. I always every time it comes up I'm like that's really smart I went the entire series several rewatches before I stumbled upon this um, Andy refers to his acapella group as being the various members, various nicknames, and there's Boner Champ and things like that. And one of the ones that he rep, uh, he remembers often, I think eventually played by Steve, uh, no, Steve Colbert. Yes. Is, his nickname is Broccoli Rob. Yeah, Broccoli Rob. Which is, I didn't realize until much later, is, you know, the word broccoli and the name Rob, but it's also a fancy preparation of broccoli, broccoli, R-A-E-B, Broccoli Rob. That's Rabe. That's pronounced Rabe. Well, we'll cut this part out then, I guess. <laughs> well, those are the only memories we could think of. Uh, uh, Chelsea's the last one that we thought of. Man, I, I can't think of any more. And now let's talk about uh, who we wanted to hug and learn. Uh, oh, I want to hug everybody. Not Michael specifically in this episode, but like everybody else. Like maybe Kelly the most. Sure. Uh, Phyllis? Always wanted to hug Phyllis. She yeah. seems like she'd be like a good. She didn't get a single line in this episode. Doesn't even have one. You know that she was a, a casting assistant who was just reading with people. Oh my and God. when, yeah, and when they were like, we need to cast this person, everybody agreed that she had done such a spot on job, you know, do, doing all of the lines for everybody that they just cast her. That's fantastic. Like she's, she's perfect. In, she is. And she's also an old burlesque dancer. <gasps> Love it. And there's a picture. There's a picture of her burlesque dancing on her desk at some points that you can see, and it is very fun. That's awesome. Um, always want to hook Phyllis. Um, yeah, that's that's good for Kelly. This this episode was not great for Kelly. Kelly. No, it's interesting because she's. We don't know who that character is yet. Like we have no idea right. that she's going to be this sort of bubbly, vapid, obsessed with Ryan, hilarious. It just. She's just such a fantastic... She and Ryan have two of the most interesting character arcs in the True. entire series. Ryan's arc is such a fucking roller coaster. Um, and their relationship is so funny. And, you know, of course, the more you know of Office Lore, the more you know of BJ, Novak, and Mindy Kaling, they're on again, off again, will they, won't they, real life thing, which right. still continues to this day. Um, and so I just, I so enjoy that this, this little taste of them that we get at the very beginning, when knowing also that they wrote the episode. Truly. Um, and what did we learn? The Office, still cool. The I don't know how to pronounce Broccoli Rabe today. <laughs> <laughs> don't think I'm not going to look that up just to make sure that no, I wasn't okay. wrong the whole time. Um, yeah, it's... I learned a lot about, um, I don't know, stuff, Office trivia that I looked up. I didn't learn anything about diversity particularly. <laughs> sure, probably. Hold on one second. Oh, uh, what? I've heard it pronounced other ways. Broccoli rock. This has been how to 
I don't oh believe it because I've heard it said by oh. leaders the other way. I think it's probably chamomile chamomile. And this channel is called Andy Boy. Yes, it's. I did not set it up. That's not the thing. So agree no. or disagree, Chelsea, in your fucking face. Well, we will agree Here's to disagree I because I think this is a chamomile chamomile situation where both are correct because I've definitely heard broccoli rabe described to me by waiters. This is definitely an I say tomato and you say tomato and I say who says tomato ever. People with monocles. <laughs> Thank you for... <laughs> If you were listening to this podcast, you don't know that Chelsea uh, mimicked a monocle when she said the word monocle. There it is. All right. Real quick. Uh, let's do a real quick. I wrote what? Uh, Marmarland is back uh, during the um, quarantine. They've they've started a production again. And recently an episode that I wrote dropped uh, it's about how to do it yourself masks teaches kids about how to make their own masks and why it's okay to go outside if you need to buy food and stuff like that without being That's scared. Awesome. Yay. Yeah. So we'll put the go. link in the, uh, in the notes so you can watch that. Awesome. Thank you everybody for joining us as we watch this amazing show for the bajillionth time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> thanks, uh, for the Andy boy channel that proved me right. Thanks uh, for the suggestion, Robin. Miles. Yeah, thank you, Miles. Thanks for doing it, y'all. So we will see you all next time. Bring snacks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today, as well as our post office box, where you can mail us snacks. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. If you want to drop us a line, you can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks!